0: Hi, I'm Paul J. Welcome to the analysis.news. Uh, we'll be back in a few seconds with Alexander Buzgalin for a progressive Russian perspective on what's going on at the Ukraine-Russian border. So don't forget about the, uh, the donation button, and the share button, subscribe button and all the buttons. So if you look at the Western press, uh, you get anything from President Biden saying the uh, Russian invasion of the Ukraine is imminent. Uh, the former head of the German Navy says actually there's no such thing imminent, and even the Ukrainian uh, pr- uh, head of the Ukrainian government says in fact he doesn't think an invasion is imminent. Uh, but uh, the Canadians and the British and of course the Americans are creating as much possible tension as they can. Uh, We'll get into all of this, but what what is Putin uh, doing? What is the agenda? Why are there so many Russian troops on the Ukrainian border if, in fact, there are so many Russian troops on the Ukrainian border? and Now joining us to talk about this from, from Moscow is Alexander Buzgalin. He's a professor and director of the Center of Modern Marxist Studies at Moscow State University. He's chief editor of the journal Alternatives, an academic journal dealing with problems in political economy, and he's the vice president of the World Political Economy Association. Thanks for joining us, Alexander.
1: Thank you so much. It's a big honor for me to be with you and to discuss with you this very important question.
0: Thank you. So, uh, what, why, why? If, if in fact Putin actually has so many troops on the border, and even that seems to be in some dispute, uh, but if in fact he does, what is your view on on why and and how what is unfolding here?
1: So first of all, I'm not military expert who just came from the border and saw or didn't saw the rockets, tanks, and so on and so forth. Uh, second, uh, uh, modern situation is uh, very different from a war of the early 20th century or mid 20th century. United States made invention to many countries without troops on the border. It's well known. Yeah, it's possible to move troops very quickly and to attack uh, by special missiles. And uh, fortunately, unfortunately, but Russia has such missiles and the modern special troops and so on. So. First of all, it's not necessary. Second, officially, Russian says that uh, troops are, but they are in two, three, four hundred kilometers from the border, so far away, uh, and uh, they were in the center of Russia all the time. Typically, Russia has main part of the troops, not main but very big part of the troops in the western border. This is all tradition. All invasions uh, came to Russia in 18th, 19th, uh, 20th century from the west. So it's understandable. And uh, also around the western border of Russia, not only western, there are a lot of NATO bases and uh, military uh, organizations and troops and uh, arms of uh, different countries which are not very friendly to Russia. At least they have a lot of uh, very negative, anti Russian, Russia phobic uh, statements from official leaders, uh, including Poland and not only. Unfortunately, so this is the reality. Uh, but I want to stress another aspect, very important from my point of view: why all this tension became so, uh, I don't know, well discussed, well presented everywhere. In Russia, we have talk show in Central TV two hours nearly every day in the west uh, every newspaper every post in the internet everything has uh, uh, this conflict why uh, it was the same uh, between different conflicts uh, sometimes conflicts did not uh, happen but uh, noise was uh, very strong why because it's profitable it's profitable for main ruling circles of the united states and uh, other countries who are together with the United States, by the way, not all Europe. Uh, it is profitable for uh, patriotic, better to say, status propaganda in our country. It is profitable uh, for everybody who wants to say uh, main problem is foreign threat, especially in Ukraine, by the way. And not internal contradictions, not inequality, not poverty of masses, not terrible situation in the economic sphere, with education and so on and so forth. And I think in the United States also prosperity is not for everybody. And growth of inequality is enormous. During this pandemic, uh, as economist I can say, there is a permanent growth of billionaires, dollar billionaires and decline of incomes of majority of population in the United States, in Russia, and all over the world, with a few exceptions. So why for them it is important and useful, profitable? Very simple. First of all, if uh, there is terrible Russia, we have to uh, create a lot of uh, armaments, and we must be together. We are all friends, billionaires and poor people, black and white. Uh, People of color, women, men, doesn't matter, we are together because there is terrible Russia. We must unite it. In Russia, more or less the same. Look, and this is true, by the way, around Russia, a lot of NATO bases. When was Gorbachev in uh, it was Soviet Union, end of the Soviet Union? Uh, NATO leaders and US leaders and European leaders said, no expansion NATO to the east. NATO is in the West Germany, and that's it. In Belgium, but not Poland, not Czech Republic. It was Czechoslovakia. Of course, not Hungary, and so on and so far. Impossible. Dear Gorby, we like you. Everything is perfect. No NATO near your borders. What else? Now they say, oh, it was another situation. In Russia, we have such problem. I am strong man. I gave my word to do something, but I can take back my word. I'm a strong man. It's a bad joke. So, the same NATO. We are strong. We have force. We have power. We say yes, yes. We say no, no. Who is it against? You will be beaten. Very simple. Unfortunately, it provokes also in Russia the same. Uh, fear that tomorrow will be war. It creates a lot of negative trends in Ukraine, where people are afraid to go to army and so on. And there is a very important aspect. This is prehistory. Uh, of course Crimea, but we discussed one time Crimea, I don't want to d- discuss more. Just I want to remind that Crimea was part of Russian Empire, it was part of Soviet Union until uh, 1960s. Only in the 1960s, for 20 years or little more, Crimea became part of Ukraine, uh inside Soviet Union. And inside Soviet Union was no border, it was like between states in the United States. So it's like to say part of territory is Texas and not, I don't know, New Mexico. It's not very important. Maybe it's important in the United States. And Soviet Union, it was not important. So uh, and uh, when the borders appeared, when uh, Soviet Union disappeared, uh, was disintegrated. Uh, Ukraine took Crimea and took uh, Sevastopol. This is military base in Black Sea, which has influence in all Mediterranean area, not simply in Sevastopol because of modern missiles. And this was all time main base for fleet uh, and uh, airplanes and. Uh, all these uh, things uh, for again, Russian Empire, Soviet Union. Then it was together, Russia and Ukraine in Sevastopol. And when in, 19, in 2014, in Ukraine changed the government, next day appeared information that Crimea is part of Ukraine, no Russian troops, no Russian people, no Russian control must disappear. Ninety percent of population of Crimea, Russians, and ninety-nine percent speaks Russian. It was very artificial Ukrainian power in in Crimea. It was Tatar population, native population, not too much, but not Ukrainians. But it okay. We have Ukrainians in Moscow. We have hundred thousand Ukrainians in Moscow. We have millions of Ukrainians in Russia living. They're immigrants, they're looking for jobs. They're coming from Ukraine to Russia, which is the enemy of Ukraine. And the Ukraine is selling commodities, and billionaires from Ukraine are selling commodities to Russia. Uh, I think maybe even buying uh, armaments from Russia, I don't know. So it's very strange. Yeah. Countries, 300 years, we're very close friends. Uh, Gogol, uh, famous writer, who is Gogol, Ukrainian guy or Russian guy? He was Ukrainian, but he was uh, writing in Russian, living in St. Petersburg, in Russia, and so on. The same with majority of other people, and uh, a lot of Russians who were in Ukraine and became heroes for Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian culture, art, uh, in theaters, in the cinema. They had great cinema in Ukraine inside the Soviet Union. And it was and nobody knows who was it. There uh, were people from Central Asia, from Russia, from Belarus, from Le- Latvia, Estonia. It was very integrated country, so it's all divisions are very artificial. It's very important prehistory. So for us, conflict with uh, Ukraine uh, is something stupid, even more stupid than conflict between Britain and United States or between Canada and United States.
0: Well, actually, Frasby, speaking with my Canadian hat on, I can certainly understand why there might be conflict between Canada and the United States. But go on.
1: Well my yes, I don't know. So uh, I'm not specialist in Canadian uh, U.S. relations or relations between. Uh, All
0: right. So let me let me ask you a question. Of so, course, yes. So it's it's a complicated set of factors here. There's, as you say, these cultural, historic connections between Russia and Ukraine. Um, uh, there's the geopolitical connect- contention, uh, mostly Russia versus the United States and its subordinates in Europe. Uh, there's the internal uh, contradictions amongst the oligarchy and amongst the people, for some to some extent, but mostly amongst the oligarchy in Ukraine. Uh, there's the factor you raised off the top, which I think is one of the most important driving forces, the military industrial complex of the United States, but also the military industrial oh, complex of uh, Russia yeah, yeah. and Europe and Ukraine, uh, if I understand Ukraine, it correctly. Yes. Yeah, during the Soviet Union, uh, Ukraine, if I understand it correctly, produced 30% of the uh, armaments for the Soviet Union. Ukraine is a major manufacturer. And in fact, up until just a few years ago, uh, Ukraine was so, between fourth and tenth largest arms exporter in the world. And recently, they they went a little down in their arms exports because the domestic demand for arms went so much higher. And of course, the Ukrainians are buying. You know, they get two hundred million dollars from Biden for arms. Well, most of that, I assume, goes to American arms manufacturers. But there also is a fight, is there not, over the uh, rival sections of the Ukrainian oligarchy, one of which is pro-American, the other which is much more aligned with Russia. and The way the pro-Western section of the Ukrainian oligarchy has pushed aside the section of the oligarchy that was more connected with Russia, Uh, And essentially, quite brutally. I mean, they've they've arrested some of the political leaders of political party that was more connected with Russia. So, so talk a bit about this: the the contradictions in the Ukrainian oligarchy and the the Russian versus American oligarchy. We don't talk about the American oligarchy enough, but it's the same thing.
1: Yeah, Uh, of course, we have big capital, which is in Ukraine and in Russia, very specific. It is much more integrated with uh, their state. I mean, inside Russia with Russian state, in Ukraine with Ukrainian state. Uh, Because of uh, Russia, we have such expression: PLIT budget." So, when you take budget money and using budget money for private purposes by capital, Uh, officially it is uh, used for benefits of people. But really, big part of this money disappearing. Between, where they came from, state pocket, and are uh, going to people's pocket. In between, there is business, and this business eat big part of this money. Maybe the biggest part of this money. It's uh, the rule for uh, Russian business, Ukrainian business. I think in all post-Soviet countries, and not only.
0: It's the same model so- in the United States. But go on
1: yeah I just trying to be polite and talking about our country, but you know better uh, United States, partly me too. Uh, so uh, that's why uh, this business uh, is uh, also divided. and in Russia, we have uh, let's say pro-western business, which is interconnected with finance, with um, uh, different forms of foreign trade, uh, not exactly raw materials, but there are a lot of other spheres of uh, foreign trade. We are buying a lot of uh, equipment. 90% of equipment in Russia is from outside, part from the West, part from China, uh, a few from other countries. So, and all these internal conflicts of oligarchs are also part of the backgrounds for foreign uh, history, uh, foreign uh, debates, I don't know, crowd around Russian Ukrainian war. Why? Because in Russia, we have now victory of, let's say, nationalistic or national big business, which is very integrated with the military-industrial complex, and which has very contradictory influence for Russian development. I must explain this because Russia looks like a very militarized and aggressive country from outside. According to some figures, it's true because we have a big military budget, defense budget officially. Uh, we have a growth of this budget, uh, and we don't have growth of budget for education, for health care, even in situation of pandemic. So this is true. But military industrial complex in Russia now plays a double role. And it is important contradiction if you want to understand how Russians see this problem. I don't say it is objective. I think how Russians see this problem. Not even me, but Russians, majority. Uh, military-industrial complex became maybe the only or one of a few branches of economy where we have development, where we have high tech, where we have a big uh, necessity f- to use skilled labor, engineers, creative workers, Scientists. We have rebirth of fundamental and applied science for these purposes. We have rebirth of engineering, preparation of engineers, education of engineers. We have rebirth of working class in these spheres, and this is skilled workers. I, they Alexander,
0: great- I saw a number that there as much as 20 percent of the industrial workforce is in the military industrial sector. Is that right?
1: Uh, Really, uh, it's very difficult. It's like in Soviet Union. To say what is military-industrial complex, what is not in Russia is a big question mark, so I will not use figures. Uh, because it is really difficult to say. Sometimes the enterprises which are producing absolutely civil production are using it is are working for military industrial complex. And twice versus some military enterprises are producing a lot of consumer goods for population inside Russia. It's a paradoxical situation. But yes, it is big part, and this is the biggest part of skilled labor is either gas, oil, or military industrial complex so that's why it is a double influence but another side is of course military industrial complex in any country is basis for uh, aggressive policy is basis for militarization is basis for statism growth of power bureaucracy and so on and only if it is under the control of society if it is really for defense nothing else and so on and so far only in this situation we can say this is uh, Okay, necessary. Maybe it's uh, evil, but it's necessary evil, yeah. And it is as minimum as, as possible. In modern situation, I don't want to say that military industrial complex of Russia is something. I don't know the birth of peace. I am not sure, honestly. But the problem is that uh, threat is real, is real. And who knows uh, if it will be aggression against Russia or it will not aggression against Russia. If we listen, I don't know, voices of NATO leaders and some US generals, we had quotations of one of your big generals who said the United States had to go to Syria, had to go to uh, any country, Iraq, Iran, Libya, and so on and so forth. It's our interest to control these countries. So who knows? Is Russia country where it's necessary to establish democracy? Yeah. One day they say Russia needs democracy. Let's move to Russia. Yeah. It's uh, so the same with Ukraine. For them, I finish. It's important Uh, for Ukraine to have uh, these terrible problems, artificially created problems. Uh, around war is extremely profitable for business, for state, for uh, um, saving power, because they have very big internal contradictions. In Russia, we have inequality in Ukraine higher. In Russia, we have uh, stagnation of economy. In Ukraine, much bigger stagnation and the same problems. So, and It's necessary to show that uh, it's not because uh, Ukrainian economic policy is uh, anti-peoples, it's uh, anti-social, not because it is inefficient, not because we are stupid leaders and uh, very, I don't know, aggressive uh, consumers of money of uh, people, not because of that, but because Russia is terrible. In Russia, we can say it's because the United States are terrible. So unfortunately, nobody is perfect, <laughs> as it was said in one American movie. And of course, uh, Russia is not uh, the angel, and the United States even more. Yeah well, um, let me let me just quickly uh, add
0: I th- is that everything you just described is true for the United States, a, a militarized economy, uh, the infrastructure is crumbling, uh, the education system is crumbling. Uh, healthcare is terribly underfunded, and and the Republicans who are so worried about big government and government spending, along with the corporate Democrats, have no problem increasing the military budget uh, to you know a trillion dollars or more a year. So I, I just it just needs to be added. Uh, the other thing is there's articles in all the uh, American publications now, and they give Putin two major objectives in why he's about to invade ukraine which as as you as i said earlier and i think you mentioned most of the europeans even the ukrainian government don't think russia is about to invade ukraine but the americans can't shut up about it at any rate it's the the objectives of putin are supposed to be essentially three to undermine and divide nato Two, because he hates democracy and doesn't want a democratic Ukraine on Russia's border. And three, he wants greater Russia. He wants to go back to historic Russian empire, and that's what's driving him. So let's start with the democracy thing. Uh, I mean, it's kind of ironic, given that Ukraine is not much of a democracy. But at any rate, what do you make of this? Putin hates democracy. That's what this is all about.
1: First of all, it is uh, not so simple uh, about uh, Putin and democracy. Uh, But first, uh, even first, first of all, I want to say about Ukraine. Uh, It is a country where a lot of people were arrested, beaten, uh, killed by uh, semi fascist groups and directly fascist groups, legally and illegally. It was in uh, 15, 2015, 16, and uh, during many uh, months, uh, and it is continuing. If you openly say in Ukraine that you think Russia is not aggressive and Russia is not enemy, and in Russia there is something good, you will be maybe even killed. Not by state, but by um, uh, Bandera, pro Bandera. I say, in general, right-wing, semi-fascist, uh, militarized groups, and they are still acting. They still have fascist uh, marches in Kiev, in the center, openly. They have anti-Semitic uh, direct slogans. Uh, we have uh, comrades, colleagues uh, in Ukraine, so it's not good atmosphere at all. We have a lot of immigrants from Ukraine. Uh, people left Democrats, internationalists, uh, and they had to leave the country because they are afraid to be killed. Uh, one of my friends is living now, uh, teaching in Russia, and he sh- he is the assistant of Professor Young, uh, PhD, uh, talent person, historian. He was living in a desert south of Ukraine, a very big city. And he was threatened to be killed many times, and this is only one my personal example, and there are a lot of other examples. So it's a f- f- falsification of democracy. About democracy in Russia, of course, we have concentration of power in the hands of president and administration, but generally, we have concentration of power in the hands of uh, uh, bureaucrats and top oligarchs who are integrated, like everywhere. Uh, a few examples. Uh, I was told uh, when I was, uh, I had another interview with US journalists, and the journalist asked me, uh, Can you say openly that uh, Putin is not good guy? It was much more dirty expression, uh, openly in your central TV. I said, No, I cannot, but I have, it's true. Nearly every week, uh, 30 minutes open air in one of the central Russian TV stations where I can say that uh, economic social policy of the state in Russia and power in Russia is uh, has negative influence on the interest of people and a lot of critique.
0: Well let me let me just can I just quickly just add a note. Uh, the left that's approximate in your sphere of what we call left, you, does not get on mainstream television in the United States at all. So, anyway, continue.
1: That was my answer. And I said, uh, Can anybody come to first channel of US TV and say that Putin is a good friend, very peaceful man who brings peace to everywhere? Uh, he was smiling and keeping silence. Yeah, so it's, uh, unfortunately, we don't have real democracy in the United States, we don't have real democracy in Russia. In Russia, we have much more paternalistic traditions. This is also important and uh, very strong uh, semi-feudal relations, especially in regions, uh, so-called clans uh, in the um, uh, North Caucasus in south of Russia, in some uh, Muslim regions of Russia, but not only. So we have a lot of negative features uh, in our country, but uh, it's very often not formal democracy. We have the Communist Party of Russian Federation in the parliament. Of course, it is not real. they are not real communists, but they are very left social democrats in economic and social policy. They are Russian nationalists, Stalinists, but economic and social requirements are uh, more left than left party in Germany. They require free-of-charge education for everybody in universities, not only in schools, completely free of charge, good quality health care, uh, very high progressive income tax, uh, nationalization of oil industry, gas industry, and so on, and all rent must, uh, all rent from raw materials must go for people's development, uh, people's control on the enterprises. So this is uh, not. I don't know who in the United States Parliament can uh, proclaim such requirements and have fifteen percent of the seats. Nobody. Uh, Nobody. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Bernie, Uh, Bernie
0: Sanders, and such come and a few come a little closer, but they they have no. They may agree with everything you just said, but they can't uh, actually realistically propose most of what you just described.
1: Yeah. So that's why it is. uh of course, uh, we are criticizing the absence of democracy in our country all time. It's uh, <laughs> all time from uh, when the uh, Soviet Union collapsed. Uh, Yeltsin started uh, mass, uh, very strong oppression of left uh, trends, and by the way, even real Democrats. Uh, they disappeared from government, from parliaments uh, during one, two years after his victory. And in 1993, it was tanks in Moscow who were shooting to the parliament. It was very democratic.
0: Now, now, in, in past interviews, um, you've talked about how the West are always so concerned about some politicians that get suppressed by Putin, who are essentially pro-West neoliberal politicians. But they don't talk about the left in in Russia. I shouldn't say so. It's Yes, the so left been- the left gets suppressed more, and the West never talks about. It.
1: It's true, and uh, we had Sergei Udaltsov, a uh, very active, uh, I can say, really democratic internationalist leader of uh, left organization, communist organization, left front. Uh, he participated in protests uh, in Balotny Square. Uh, and by the way, liberals put uh, these young communists in the front. Police attacked, first of all, these guys. They are not absolutely weak. Uh, maybe one of them also made something against policemen, and Sergey and his friends uh, received four, or five years of the prison. Yeah, uh, and nothing in the West. Stanislav Markelov. Uh, I say this name; it's important. Stanislav Markelov, our close friend. He was protector of human rights and defender of uh, trade unions of immigrants. He was killed in the center of Moscow. It was said that it was strange, crazy guy, but really it was political killing. So nearly nothing in the West. About Nemtsov, who had a lot of money, and I don't know who and why killed him, by the way, uh, noise is permanent and no stop until modern minute, many years came. About uh, Stanislav Markelov, nothing. So it's a very very strange model of defense of democracy Sorry, it's very important for me
0: yeah of course the uh so, so it's not to minimize uh, i mean they use the word authoritarian with Putin and the Russian state uh, you're not minimizing that there is authoritarianism. Of
1: course it is. Yes, it's it is. Uh, there are a lot of authoritarian trends uh, and uh, in politics and so on. But it's uh, not a picture which is uh, created by Western media.
0: Right. Okay. Let's get back to Ukraine. So. There's the drive of the military-industrial complex on all sides. I, I have to say the Americans are certainly the more provocative. They're certainly the profiting the most out of all this, but as you say, there's also a Russian military-industrial complex. Let me just say, because I know I'm going to get viewers writing in, uh, I don't and I'm sure you don't disagree that the uh, demand to uh, stop the Eastern Expe- Expansion of NATO is a justified demand. Uh, there should, you know, Ukraine shouldn't be in NATO. Uh, there should be no nuclear weapons in any of these uh, harboring neighboring states, and go even further. I would say there shouldn't be any bloody nuclear weapons in Europe. Period. In fact, anywhere. But so let's put that aside because we all agree on that. But there actually is a fight over the the this. Division amongst the oligarchy in the Ukraine between a pro-West and a pro-Russian, and the way the Russian, the pro-Russian section of the oligarchy, have been uh, suppressed really by the Americans. Uh, The the change of government, I guess it's in 2014, was essentially a coup that the Americans were very involved with. Uh, So, so is part of what's going on now. uh, Putin pressuring Ukraine. in order to try to uh, either both the Donbas region, the section of eastern Ukraine that's mostly Russian, to to force Ukraine to live up to the Minsk Agreement that will allow more autonomy, uh, are they trying to strengthen the pro-Russian uh, section of the Ukrainian oligarchy? Uh, and there really is a fight. Ukraine is quite a prize, if I understand it correctly. It, it, it has been quite an industrial powerhouse.
1: It's true, and it is very complex question. I'm sorry, I cannot be very brief. You don't need. Uh, you don't so, need to be brief. Yeah. So first of all, uh, introduction, not the answer, but introduction. So what will be if uh, Russia will decide to protect Mexico uh, from uh, U.S. Uh, possible aggression and create military bases along all Mexico-U.S. border? create a Russian basis along U.S Mexico border in Mexico
0: well we United know we, States, we know the answer it's called the Cuban Missile Crisis
1: yes the same uh, so not the same but uh, when we say I mean Russians say the same so guys uh, look why we cannot protect uh, good country against your aggression and your aggressive country and you can protect uh, Country against Russia, which uh, during last years uh, did not attack uh, by, I don't know, weapons uh, and uh, so on, uh, other countries. So that's a big question mark. Uh, Let's now forget about introduction. Uh, Content. Uh, I think that Russia, uh, Russian government, and uh, not Russia, but Russia definitely don't want to have war with Ukraine. It's in the, I don't know, in the soul. and uh, for our people to go and to fight against Ukrainians, and it's not even against Ukrainians, it's against, I don't know 50 percent Russian-speaking people, 50 percent Ukrainian-speaking people. Uh, army in, the, in Ukraine speaks uh, not generals, but soldiers and officers and children, they speaking Russian so it will be a very crazy war and in the russian army there are ukrainian people so it will be a very crazy war so i cannot imagine even this it's about russian people about russian officials state government and so on. Uh, i think uh, all these uh, debates uh, can be used for increasing of bureaucratic power of our state but uh, to start real war, it will be a catastrophe for modern ruling circles. They will lose uh, the same day support inside the country. Even if they create very good prerequisites, uh, explain everything, sh- uh, show all facts and uh, pictures, and so on, I don't think that uh, any war in the territory of Ukraine will be supported by Russian people. It's self-killing, suicide for officials, and they're not stupid. Uh, I'm very critical about uh, top Russian people. By the way, I don't want to talk about Putin. It's a very bad idea when everything is a cult of personality, but cult created in the West. So it's not Putin. It is a system of power of bureaucrats and oligarchs. Putin is uh, only symbol, nothing else. Uh, So uh, for this uh, elite, it will be self-killing, suicide, Uh, for military-industrial complex. uh, Really, they are producing now mainly things which are necessary not for such small local wars. They are producing very expensive uh, special equipments, uh, which I don't know is necessary only to show Russia is very strong and dangerous, don't attack us. So, this is the role of these special new missiles. Uh, And we don't have enough of these missiles to attack any country, by the way, now. It's just a symbol that we can create something very dangerous.
0: So we're going to finish part one now, and we're going to make a do a part two of this interview. So thanks for joining me on the analysis.news. Don't forget the donation, the subscribe, the share, and join us for part two of Alexander uh Galen, which will be will be releasing very soon